We at Harlem Baptist Church want to welcome you as you join in listening to the word preached with us. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged as we hear from the word of God. We pray that through this recording, you would know the truth of the gospel and that you would find life in Christ. If you don't have a church home, you are always welcome to join us. If you do, we pray this would not be a substitute, but instead a supplement to the preaching of your home church. Information about Harlem Baptist, as well as other sermons and resources, can be found at our website, www.harlanbaptist.org. We're going to be looking at Psalm 95 this morning. And uh, I've titled this message, The the Lord of Rest. Uh, Because what we're going to find out by looking at Psalm 95, it's one of those psalms that reaches far back into Scripture and far forward into Scripture. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. But the, what I want us to focus on is rest, uh, because that's ultimately what we find our rest in, is how we find our peace. And uh, that's what we're going to look at uh, from, at this psalm. And you know, by way of introduction, I just want to let you know, uh, and this is by the grace of God, that this past week has been quite an amazing week. Uh, for Madison and myself, I'd say probably especially for Madison because she's the one that does the 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 brunt of the the hard work. But by God's grace, Benjamin has slept through the night for the past six nights. And uh, you know they tell you you don't know what tired is until you experience parents of newborn tired. I think they're right. But let me tell you, the difference between the week prior to Easter and this week is pretty stark. Uh, we don't just feel better, we definitely feel better, uh, but we've also been way more kind, way more patient, way more understanding, uh, much slower to anger, slower to frustration, and, you know, one of that, what the case is, is that that's one of the miracles of rest. You know, we need rest, otherwise we become people we don't want to be, but we see this miracle of rest and this need for rest. And what I want us to see is that this rest that we need, it's a sure sign of our frailty and a sign of our inability. You know, right now, every one of us is facing a similar challenge of exhaustion. And what I mean by that is not that you all have kids, but We've all got a challenge before us. We've been fighting this battle against COVID-19 now for five and a half long weeks. Like, I know it's been, it's one of those things you think, five weeks. Maybe that doesn't seem that long. It seems a whole lot longer than it actually was. I was just talking to John a moment ago about a situation that happened. I said, man, was that like a year ago? And he said, no, that was, that was three months ago. <laughs> I said, man, I've lost complete track of time. It's crazy to think that five and a half weeks ago, John and I, we were at the Lexington airport at 5 a.m. in the morning. We were debating whether or not it would be a good idea to go to D.C. The night before that, the NBA had suspended its season. And the morning that we decided not to go to D.C., the mayor of D.C. declared the state of emergency. We look back, that's five weeks, and it seems like a year ago. We're all tired. The adrenaline of the, the newness of the challenge and you know, going at this challenge, it's, it's worn off. We just celebrated Easter. It's usually one of the, our biggest celebrations as a church, and it was a wonderful time of worship and 
time in the Word last weekend, but even still, everyone was trying to pull out you know, the stops, trying to do the best they could to celebrate in the midst of trying circumstances. And we've got to be honest with ourselves, we're tired. We're tired. We're, we're going to be tired. Some of, some of you have been working extra hours during this time, time of trial. Some of you are doing things that you've never had to do before. Some of you are working less hours, but you're also more lonely and more isolated than you've ever had to be. All of us are worried. All of us are, to some extent, losing sleep. All of us are facing something that we've never faced. As we think about this, the length that this challenge could go on, it's not clear yet. And because of that, because there is lots of unknown, that tends to produce both overactive imaginations and overreactive actions. We want to be careful in the midst of this that we know where to find our rest because because of our frailty, bad things can happen. Our responses could be poor. You see, we need rest. We need solid footing. And if we don't get that rest, if we don't get that solid footing, things will get worse. Much, much worse. If we don't find rest, we will begin to bite each other's heads off. We will begin to be short-tempered. We will be selfish. We will make bad decisions. It'll just keep getting worse. So we need to find rest. But we also need to learn how to truly rest. And that's where I think Psalm 95 has come to us at a very appropriate time. In this psalm, we learn not only that we need rest, but we learn what is the only true source of rest. So if you will, please join with me as we read from Psalm 95. There's 11 verses. We're going to read through all of them. Uh, so follow along with me. The psalmist says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my works. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, Lord, we come before You this morning. Lord, in need of rest. Lord, in need of assurance. In need of hope. Lord, 
in need of redemption. Lord, we have surely, Lord, put our hopes in other things these past weeks. Lord, we have surely, Lord, come to the end of ourselves in many ways, Lord, as we have tried to deal with the fear, deal with the anxiety, deal with the challenges that we face during, Lord, what is one of the most uncertain times in, Lord, at least a generation, if not more. But Lord, you call for us to be a people who rejoice, who stand with confidence, Lord, who are a people who can, Lord, declare your mighty works, Lord, your goodness, Lord, who would give you praise and glory and honor, Lord, no matter our circumstances. And Lord, in that, Lord, is what is good, what is most best for us, Lord, is that we would be a people who can stand confident and assured, who can live, Lord, with joy, live, Lord, Lord, at peace, because, Lord, we are in your hands. So, Lord, I pray that as we examine this psalm, and Lord, through it, examine our own hearts today, Lord, may you show us how to find rest. May you show us how, Lord, to find comfort and peace. And Lord, may you show us that you are our only hope. Lord, may you speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, we pray all this in our Redeemer's name, the Lord of rest, the Lord of the Sabbath, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What I think this psalm teaches us is that it is easy sometimes to begin to praise the Lord in a when situation, the situation is good. And the psalmist kind of sets us up by declaring this praise. It seems as if everything is good. And then in the middle of verse 7, he says, okay, but today you need to hear something. You see, when things are at their best, it's so easy to give praise and honor and glory to God. It is much easier to praise the Lord when things are going well when we are being truly blessed, when life seems to be just running smoothly along. And even at the first sign of a trial, it's easy to do so, to still say, God is good. But what about when things get really dark? What about when things are truly hard? What about when the trial doesn't ease up right away? then it can be more difficult. See, I think we find ourselves in a similar situation, but honestly, we have it very good. We're not worried about basics just yet. We have, are able to continue life in to such a degree that it isn't that far removed from what we once knew. We're just having to take precautions to protect life, but... We look at a challenge and we look at the unknown and there's definitely uncertainty. But when we think about what's actually going on in the text here and the story that God is speaking about, the psalmist is speaking about in his warning in the psalm, I think we can learn definitely to find some perspective for ourselves here and now, but still at the same time learn, all right, I need to make sure I am putting my hope, my peace, finding it in God and in God alone. You see, when things get difficult, it's much more difficult for us 
to continue to praise and give honor and glory to God. You see, to know the context of this psalm helps us to hear and see the language that is used in it. See, the psalmist, he starts with praise. He's starting out with praise. He's calling on others to join him in his praise of the Lord. He says, the praise of the Lord who is the rock of our salvation. So we see him, he goes on, he first says in verse 1, he is our rock. And that language, even that language that declaring that the Lord is the rock of our salvation, it's important because it comes into play later, the story he's talking about. Then the second verse he says, it says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise. In verse 3, he says, he is our great God. He is the great king. There's no other God like him. In verse 4, he talks about that he is the God of all creation. He is the one who holds all of creation in his hands. Every drop of water, every grain of sand, every molecule, even every virus. And then in verse 6, we see the psalmist declare, look, He is our Maker. Verse 7, He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. See, all these things are true, and we need to declare every single one of these things. But is it not interesting that then all of a sudden the psalmist, he takes a turn. All these things are true. The psalmist is saying, you need to worship. Let's worship together. But he says, worship like this and don't do this. All of a sudden, the praise and worship becomes a warning. The example is given to us of what that praise and worship looks like. And even the reason why we should give God honor and glory and praise. But then we get the warning. Today, if you hear His voice, do not. Harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Hard hearts don't worship. Hard hearts can't recognize the graces of God. They can't recognize the glories of God. Do not harden your hearts because of your situation. You see, before we walk through this warning and what the psalmist is referencing. I want us to remember this truth, for I think it's what the psalmist is wanting for us, wanting us to understand. It's this statement. A heart that can praise the Lord is a heart that can rest in assurance. There's a lot bound up in that statement, but I want you to hear it one more time. A heart that can praise the Lord is a heart that can rest in assurance. If we want to learn how to rest, we need to learn how to praise the Lord. You see, the psalmist in his warning says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. And you may not recognize that text if you've been joining us in worship at Harlem Baptist, you might recognize that because we talked through this very same story just a few months ago when we went through Exodus 17. So I want you right now to take a moment to turn to Exodus 17 with me. 
I hope that you've got your Bibles at home. And if you turn to Exodus 17, you'll hear the story of what's happening here. The the psalmist says, don't harden your hearts as at Meribah, as at Massa. Says your father, fathers put me to the test, the Lord says. They put me to the proof. So what had happened? Well, this is Israel in Exodus 17. So we go back to this text. Israel has just escaped from Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. God has made dry land appear in the middle of the sea for them to walk through. He's delivered them from their enemies. He's demonstrated His might over all creation. He did that through the plagues that He demonstrated over Egypt. And it's right after all that display of power that the Israelites did this. Starting in verse 1 and verse 17, it says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now Massa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. You see, the Israelites had just seen the might and power and display of God on display. They had just spent an entire chapter singing the song of Moses, singing about God's deliverance out of the Red Sea, away from the Egyptians. And now they're sitting there, and they're a few days in, and they're, even though they just saw God literally move an entire sea, they're worried about being thirsty. Now, this isn't like as if they didn't have a real trial going on, is it? They needed water. They needed water for them, their families, their livestock. They had a real need. But instead of responding with, we know the God, the God who has been with us, the God who has rescued us, the God who governs all of creation. We know that God, let's go to Him, let's pray to Him, let's give thanks to Him, and pray that He will provide just as He has always provided, and just as He has promised to provide. Instead, what they do is they grumble and complain and quarrel, and they are at the point to which Moses says, they're about to stone me. So what do hard hearts look like? Hard hearts look like people who are ungrateful. They look like people who deny God's past provision through their their refusal to look to God for their present and future provision. 
Hard hearts look like people who are afraid in their present circumstances because they have failed to remember God's deliverance out of past circumstances. People with hard hearts forget all those things that we sang about in the first seven verses. That God is the rock. God is great and there is none like Him. God is the one who holds all creation in His hands. And God has called us to be His people. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand, and He is a good shepherd. You see, hard hearts are hearts searching for rest, but not looking to the One who has promised to give it. We don't want to be a people of hard hearts. But look, even in this story, we see the revelation of God's grace towards His people. And the, we see what the psalmist was talking about in verse 1. Why do you think, he says, He is the rock of our salvation? Because what did God do? God said, look, through a rock, I'm going to provide water sustaining life for you. Our praise needs to remember what God has already done so that we might have confidence in the present for what God will do. Let's not have hard hearts as at Meribah and at Massa. Let's not put God to the test. You see, these people, they through their grumbling, through their complaining, through their anxiety, their stress, they acted out in a way that they shouldn't have. When we're tired, when we don't have rest, we act in a way that we don't because we look to our flesh. We are sinful people and our sinful nature comes out at its worst when we are worried and feel as if we're not in control. So what did the people do? They attacked Moses. They attacked Moses' character. They, they questioned God's character. They put him to the test and God says, do not put me to the test. Don't question my character for I have provided, but come and trust in me and you will find life. You see, as we talked about just a few months ago, this narrative in Exodus 17, it was actually a fulfillment of what God had already promised. He had told the Israelites that He was going to test the people in the wilderness. This testing was a preparation for the fulfillment of God's promise as He brought them to the promised land and provided a place of rest for them. Yet what did they do so quickly? They turned against God. They literally put Him to the test. They put Him on trial. That's what those elders that Moses were called to have, they had the elders, they put God on trial. Is God going to provide? God surely did, but God, we have to recognize, was gracious in the midst of this. He could have destroyed them right then and there, but He, in His love, in His infinite mercy, He bears the accusation, lets them place Him on trial, and then provides for His people. The rock is struck, and from it flows life. we not see the hope and the promise even in that picture? For God would be struck 
and from him would flow life. God proves, he has proven and continues to prove that he is with his people. Will we trust God to provide in the desert? This isn't the only thing that the psalmist warned about. He says, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. Here we saw Israel didn't trust God to provide for them in the midst of the desert. But then he says in verse 10, he says, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said there are people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And therefore he says, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. You see, the people of Israel, they didn't trust that God was going to provide in the wilderness. And then, down the road, they didn't trust that God would provide a way out of the wilderness either. For that, I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. This is the perspective of the psalm. The psalmist is saying, remember what has happened. Remember what has gone on. So in Numbers 14, this is the story of Israel. They have been in the wilderness. They've gone through. They're ready to prepare their way to go into the promised land. And they sent spies out into the promised land to look and see what was to be had. Those spies return. But ten give a report of the giants in the land, the, the walled cities that they could no way, shape, or form could they take those cities. Only two of the twelve spies gave a positive report, but the people did not listen. The God who had brought them out of Egypt, the God who had parted the Red Sea, the God who had provided them food, manna in the wilderness, the God who had taken them and given them water from a rock, that same God, they said, He is not going to get us out of this desert. So we read, if you turn to Numbers 14, 1-12, we, we read this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. 
So not only, the psalmist says, don't have hard hearts as the Israelites who didn't believe God would provide in the wilderness. Don't have a hard heart that doesn't trust that God is going to provide a way out of the desert. Now what does this have to say for us right here, right now? The psalmist, his praise of the Lord, that has not changed. God is still worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our praise. He is still the God who is unchanging. He is the God who created all things, who is working out the good for His people. But we have to ask ourselves as we've encountered a prolonged trial with an uncertain future, with what, where is our hope? Where are we going to find rest? And we see this as even greater fulfilled for the picture of Israel heading to the promised land was a type, a picture of the promise that was to come. A people in need of redemption and a people who God was preparing a promised place for. A place that would be free from evil. A place that would be a restful place. God was preparing that for the people of Israel. But it was just a sign of the salvation and the rescue from sin that God was going to provide for all of mankind through His Son. So we've seen how the psalm reaches back into the history of Scripture. It reaches back to the story of the people of Israel, but this is a psalm that also looks forward. For this, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. As you see, we need to realize that we are a people who, if we can't rejoice, if we can't worship, if we can't praise the Lord right now, we won't find rest. There's only one way to find rest. And that is relief from sin. All that happened with Israel was preparation, this imagery that showed how God was going to bring about not just rest from oppressive peoples, but rest from the oppression of sin and all of its consequences. So we see the author of Hebrews in chapter 3 verse 7 quoting this very same psalm referencing right back to the people of Israel, the same story. So listen now to what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the author of Hebrews says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 
So as it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For those who, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? With whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have seemed to have failed to reach it. For good news has come to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, For he has spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, also he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What is the author of Hebrews saying by quoting Psalm 95? He's saying, look, the deceitfulness of sin causes us to question God in every avenue of life. You are going to be tempted in the weeks to come. You may be tempted today to not trust that God has provided true rest and true rescue. Rest rest and rescue that we actually need. Rescue from sin. You're going to be tempted not to find hope in that because you're going to be tempted to find your hope in this world. And it may seem trivial that the Israelites would say, Man, how are we going to have water when God had just provided all those things for them? They were tempted and tempted to question God because of the lack of something that they had, didn't have, right then, right there in their present situation, in their wilderness wandering. They were tempted to question God. They hardened their hearts by denying God and His character and His promises. And you are undoubtedly going to be tried and put in a position in the days and weeks to come to say, God, why would you put me through this trial? But God's promise, it remains. His character is unchanging. Just as we read at the beginning of this psalm, He is the rock of our salvation. He is the one who is promised to provide. He is the one who says that we are His people. We are the sheep of His hand. He will provide. He has provided for us. 
He's provided for us in the rock who was broken in our stead. He has provided for us rescue and rest from all that really has come at us. He has provided for us rest through His Son. But are we going to find our rest, our confidence in God, in Christ? Or are we going to still look for something else? So if you need a solution to your restlessness, you need to remember what God has already done for you and the promise that God has made to you. If you want a solution to your restlessness, you need to praise the Lord and praise Him so that you would remember in your mind and in your heart what God has done, who God is, because we all need to be reminded right now, more than ever, that God is unchanging, His promises remain, and we can trust in Him. We need to remember that God is the rock of our salvation, that He sent His Son who poured out His life was struck for us so that we might have life. And if we can remember this, if we can focus on these things, we will realize that statement that I told you to remember earlier, a heart that can praise the Lord is a heart that can rest in assurance. When we can praise the Lord because of the salvation He's purchased for us, through His Son, when we can praise the Lord knowing that we will be rescued one day from the trials of this life and we will one day enjoy a promised land, a heaven, a new creation, a new earth, free from sin, free from the frailty that we are all victims of right now. We can then stand firm right now knowing that God has not only provided a way out of the wilderness, God has provided in the wilderness. See, we need rest. But I can tell you right now, you won't find rest unless you can praise the Lord. A heart that can praise the Lord is a heart that can rest in assurance. Y'all, we need rest. We're striving in a world that is not as it should be, in bodies as that aren't as they should be, and with hearts that are not as they should be. This pandemic, it's just an exacerbation of the problem that already existed. And in that, God is testing us. Just as he tested the Israelites. What is your rest in? What are you going to find rest in? And you see what is made clear in this psalm and it's the way it looks back and then as it looks forward, as Hebrews looks back to it, what we see is that if we don't find rest in that which solves the real problem. The real problem that is sin. If we are seeking to find rest in anything that does not address the problem of sin, then
then we're just floundering in the mud, getting nowhere, and getting worse off by the minute. No better off than we were before. So what are you doing right now during all of this to find rest in God? To find your hope in Christ? You see, a lot of things may seem restful. And maybe God's teaching you even through the midst of this trial, a prolonged period, that the things you typically had found rest in, they get old very quickly. I mean, how much better do you really feel after you binge that entire show on Netflix? It was fun for a moment, but you get done and you're like, what did I do with all my time? And I bet some of you have probably spent lots of time over the last five and a half weeks watching a lot of shows, but you every single time you don't feel better afterwards. See, that's something that you don't find real rest in. Now, maybe you've had more time around the house, but how much better do you feel when you get the entire house clean and then you wake up the next morning and you realize... <clears throat> It's a mess all over again. And maybe some of you are like me, and though work has not changed after this, you can't wait for this travel ban to to lift up, that we can actually go somewhere, because you're just dreaming about taking that vacation and finally just relaxing. But we all know when we get home from that vacation, we're going to be just as tired, and we're going to need a day or two off to recover from that rest that we were supposed to have because that's exactly what's happened before. See, we're going to be tempted to find rest in a lot of empty promises. But if you want to make it through the trial ahead, you've got to know where our real rest lies. If you want to make it through without biting each other's heads off, without grumbling and complaining and quarreling and causing all kinds of worse issues, we better find our rest, we better find our hope in the only one who can provide it. You need to find your rest in Christ. Perhaps you never have. Psalm is an invitation to you. Don't harden your heart against God for He has shown the futility of trying to find rest in the things of this world because we see the problem of sin. We see the brokenness all around it and only He can make all things new and He is going to. So find hope and life in Christ. Now, to say finding your rest in Christ, it's an easy thing to say. It's hard to do. And the reality is is that Finding true rest is going to take some hard work on our part. It's going to be hard work because it's going to be heart work that we have to do. See, if you want to find your rest in Christ, you're going to have to identify idols. The good thing is that right now, and I know God's been doing this in my own heart over the last few weeks, God has been helping me through all the challenges that we've been facing, through the different situations that are new. He's been showing me where many of my idols are. Perhaps He's been showing you over these last few weeks where many of your idols are. You need to continue to do the hard work of the heart work, and you need to put those idols to death. Colossians 3, we are told, 
to look to the things that are above to find joy and peace. If you want to find contentment, if you want to find rest, you've got to place your hope where God is. You've got to place your hope where God is. I want us to be a people who in the midst of uncertainty can be confident that we would be a people who take the first seven verses of this psalm and we say that is what we stand for. God is our rock. We're going to sing His glory. He's made possible salvation for us. He's promised us rest. And even though we face trials right here, right now, we know that the true rest is coming because it's been purchased by the blood of Christ. So therefore, in the midst of our trials right here, right now, we can be a people at peace knowing that God is going to provide everything we need through this wilderness trial because He's already made a way out of the wilderness through His Son. This is the promise of this psalm, and it is our hope. So my hope and prayer for you today is that you would find your rest in Christ and you would go through, you would take just a moment to stop and look back. How has God provided? What has God already done? That you would look forward and say, I know because of what God has done, of who God is and what God has promised me, that these trials are nothing that I can't handle by the strength of Christ, by the power of Christ in me. But here's the thing. Is Christ in you? Have you trusted Christ? Are you Trust in Christ. You can't have that confidence if you haven't yet. And brothers and sisters, we need to show the world that our confidence is in Christ. We're going to close singing today. And I want us to reflect on these words. to reflect who is our rest. How do I have peace? I want to invite you to take these next few moments to sing with me, to sing with one another, and to consider, is God my only hope? Is Christ my sure peace? Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for the salvation you have provided for us. Lord, for the rest that you promise us. Lord, the sure rest that we have in the future. And Lord, the rest that we can have right now because of your promises, because of your character. And Lord, your promise to provide all that we need. Lord, to give us strength to persevere so that we might have a greater faith, a greater trust in you. So, Lord, I pray you would continue to teach us. Teach us through the exposing of our idols during this time of trial. Teach us that we need to have you as our only source of real rest. And, Lord, may we come out of this trial, Lord, confident in you. May we come out of this trial, Lord, declaring your goodness, your might. Lord, may we come out of this trial, Lord, making it so evidently clear that we are the sheep of your pasture, that we are your people, and that our hope is in you 
and in you alone. Lord, would you, Lord, be at work in us. Lord, may you build up your church. Lord, may you be glorified, the rock of our salvation. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.